What's up, what's up, what's up? It's Vegas, a.k.a. Mr. 702, live from the building, and we are about to go under the armor. There are many reasons for dating. However, the equation for happiness to ensure dating someone with whom you are spending time with is quite perplexing. And the factors to determining a successful dating experience, I don't even know. Furthermore, I am starting to even question what we as human beings in a society are seeking within a relationship. I was doing some reading and I came across an article um, comparing the differences between companionship and romance within dating. Now, I was under the belief that you kind of had to have both in order to have a great relationship. But this article actually was preaching that you could have one without the other or you could have both. What really got me to trying to understand the difference of it and whether or not we as human beings are seeking companionship or we are seeking a romantic relationship and how that differs and varies when we are going through the motions of dating. So for dating, companionship and romantic interaction have very different characteristics. They have different levels of communication and they have different levels of comfort. Determining which level one wants in a dating experience can greatly impact the ability for the relationship to be happy, secure, and fulfilling. Some people search for companions for social settings. We all know it. Brunch, you know, going to the movies, hanging out, doing festivals and activities, while other people want an exclusive relationship where there is no where there is no other dating of partners involved, i.e. monogamy. Then there's also the romantic relationship involving two people who are passionate and want a romantic or physical exchange, yet the role of companionship may or may not be discussed. Relationships can begin as a friendship, and dating and friendship can go hand in hand. Couples who have created a close friendship with no expectations for serious ties, such as marriage, companionship, um, this type of relationship offers a gentle companionship without the drama or the turmoil that is most likely included in a sexual relationship. Think close friends. Think friends who do things often. Think of male and female friends who maybe have been around each other, I would like to say, since high school maybe. And while the day-to-day friendship is great, even this type of relationship runs the risk of not having a spark that will keep one or both parties long-term. Conversely, a romantic relationship is created like an exploding star. Our feelings of love, sexual chemistry, and deep compassion in this relationship, it starts out extremely fast due to the fact that it is accompanied by an amazing high. We've all been on a love drug and no amount of weed, no amount of alcohol, no amount of any other variable that can get you to a good space will ever have you feeling as good as love. Time is spent on cloud nine, partaking in the love drug. The romance, the, the romantic says the romantic does not have to necessarily involve sex, but 
For those whose primary love language is physical touch, the art and the physical acts such as holding hands, kissing, hugging, and snuggling can provide an invigorating tincture. If the reason for dating someone is to find good company or companionship, friendly partnerships are also quite comfortable. In a companion-only relationship, romantic tactics do not have to interest the other person. But a close friendship is built on trust of both parties spending time together. Age is not a factor in companionship or dating or seeking a romance. Throughout life, people of all ages choose to date for many different reasons. There may be a 20-year-old who is trying to seek non-sexual companionship, while there may be an 80-year-old who is trying to become sexually active. Whether searching for a companion or romance, many people pursue activities they personally enjoy in order to meet someone. However, I think that we have to understand that while they are quite different, they are big factors in how we interact with people. I know for me personally, I really don't do non, I'm not going to say non-sexual interaction with the opposite party, but I don't really, I don't know. And I, and I could be totally wrong. This is just my guess. I'm spitballing as this podcast is going, but I, I, all of my female friends who I would say are strictly platonic or I would have a long-term companionship with are women that either I went to school with or women that I have um, experienced time with when I was in the military. But as I've began to move and relocate, I really haven't developed platonic female friends and that could just be in a state of being which I am or I could just be not opening myself up to that possibility however what I will say is that when I do engage in a romantic relationship with a party if we don't start to develop in companionship on the long term then I believe that the relationship kind of begins to spark and then it dies because Simply put, you always can't be touching and holding and being sexually engaged with your partner. There has to be some baselines of things that are established in a general and a genuine liking of being in that person's presence and enjoying that person's energy. So I don't quite agree with the article and I'm not saying that they're wrong or right, but I think it's very, very interesting to compare and contrast how people look at companionship and difference with relationship and how sometimes people try to separate them in order to form a relationship. Because I just don't think you can have one without the other. I think you need companionship and you need romance in order to form a successful relationship. But that's just my thoughts. Why don't y'all get at me? Tell me what you think. Tell me how you feel about companionship and comparison with romanticism and how that encompasses and creates a relationship. Autonomy. Autonomy is... A person's need to perceive that they have choices. That what they are doing is under their own volition. And that they are the source of their own action. As a manager, having spent time in management position, 
I have heard this over and over again. You go to a seminar, you go to a think tank, you go to a uh, job reset or when many jobs do at the beginning of the year to get everybody motivated to work. You will hear this often that you have to figure out how to get your team to perform at high levels. However, one of the things I will say is that the understanding of autonomy when it comes to my business and personal life has really allowed me to understand various nuances of how to deal and manage others. Because this autonomy is not always just, so to say, for business or for at your job. Autonomy can be used in your relationship with your partner. And I believe that autonomy is a key factor in the upbringing of children because as they get older, they want to have more responsibility and autonomy is very, very critical. Understanding that no matter how hard or how long you work, you simply cannot complete everything by yourself. And in business, especially when the task is complex or it's diverse, those jobs or those tasks require everybody to work into, as Bill Parcells, or as Bill Parcells would say, as Bill Belichick, not Bill Parcells, as Bill Belichick would say, do your job. Um, We have to understand that you when you're in a leadership position, you have the ability to regulate and ability to really impact how others contribute to work. And telling your staff how to do their job can be very, very pointless and very frustrating. It can make a person feel uneducated and it can very much have a person question their sense of happiness within the job. Um, Conversely, you can set strategic deadlines and benchmarks and, and directions that will then allow a person to accomplish a task within their own sort of style. I have concluded that autonomy is one of the greatest ways to empower others. Now, let's be honest. Micromanaging provides the person that is doing it a sense of control. And as a person who struggles with control, who has struggled with control in the past, being in control can be a vexing drug that can allow others to feel oppressed and extremely frustrated. It is no surprise that one of the number one reasons for employees leaving companies is because they feel that they are being micromanaged. Overall, I believe and I feel that it is highly ineffective and it shows a lack of trust in others' abilities. And like I said before, this goes far beyond the workforce. If you don't trust your children or you don't trust your partner or you don't trust your teenagers um, to perform a task correctly, you will spend an unnecessary amount of time hovering over them when they work or simply becoming so upset that you end up doing it yourself. This passive aggressive tactic can easily destroy and alter how one feels about you personally. This can cause your children to not like you and this can cause a lot of dysfunction within a relationship. I have been extremely extremely toxic when it comes to micromanaging in previous relationships so 
I have to apologize for it, but it is terrible. Autonomy is the antithesis of micromanagement. Instead of focusing on the minute details, you focus on the larger goals and the strategics in order to clear or to handle that objective while allowing others to deal with with this in their capacity. If we are able to create an autonomy while holding others accountable for stated goals and objectives, then the day-to-day life flows smoother. Um, many people, when your house is flowing smooth and your work is flowing smooth, the day just feels better. And although we would like to downplay it, we all want to be able to contribute to a greater cause. Simply look at a sports team. You see players who may not even play in the game, communicating, contributing with suggestion and ideas, and even maintaining high energy on the sideline. Motivation and innovation comes from enthusiasm and passion, and new ideas spring from the eagerness to improve the process. One who is in a leadership position must understand this correlation and work to draw out the talent of those around them, empowering them via independence to solve problems and bring new ideas to the table. Like I said once before, this was a serious, serious flaw of mine when it came to dating. I can become extremely micromanaging, believing that I am just wanting the best for my partner, disregarding how they feel and not even recognizing that this style of managing and micromanaging can exacerbate them and have them really not even wanting to be around me. Um, Therefore, I really have, over the last few years, began to practice this not only in my business life, but in my personal life as well, framing goals as essential information to ensure that everyone understands what needs to be done for success. And rather than micromanaging each task, simply communicating what the end result should be, setting expectations while empowering others to decide for themselves how to tackle problems to meet those expectations. Um, I, one of the things I also do is allowing others the ability to decide how they will accomplish tasks creates a feeling that is necessary and intrinsically for motivation, giving them freedom to choose how to shape their approach to suit their personal preference and their abilities also gives them a heightened sense of control over the situation, which entail contributes positively to the overall performance. I uh, Lastly, I try and, and I, I have to do this even at work now. I am trying and striving to continue to acknowledge effort and completion of tasks. Everybody wants to be appreciated for his or her contributions. The sense that one is responsible for making decisions and the ability to stand behind those decisions when a given task drives involvement and often leads to innovation and definitely increased satisfaction. We all want to be kings and queens and great leaders, but a great leader has to be able to understand how to motivate those around them and to drive and to maximize their talent and potential. And micromanaging is simply not a skill that we can even try to use anymore because studies, books, and personal accounts have showed you how toxic it truly is. What's up? Thank you for taking the time to tap into this podcast. 
If you want to follow me on social medias, you can follow me on Facebook at Joshua Broomfield. You can follow me on Instagram at VegasMr702.com. If you have any comments, feedback, or you have any suggestions for the podcast, you can go ahead and either hit me up directly on both those sites, or you can go ahead and email me at VegasMr702 at Gmail. Once again, thank you for checking out the podcast and follow me. I'll make sure to follow you back. Blessed are the pure of heart. Matthews 5 and 8. For the last two, three weeks, I've really been thinking and pondering on what does it truly mean to be pure of heart. One of the definitions in Webster's Dictionary of pure is unmixed with any other matter. So when something is pure, it has no other substance or material that it is mixed with. For instance, a piece of gold that is described as pure gold, that means it has nothing in it but gold, and it has no other traces of any other element. Growing up in the Baptist church, you hear being pure of heart. Um, Being in the military, you hear of being pure of heart. And if we are to be pure of heart, it is my guesstimation that we are living for a single purpose. While many religions may communicate it in various ways, I do believe on a universal level that being pure of heart is to live with no hypocrisy, no guile, and no hidden motives. A pure heart is marked by a transparency, uncompromising desire to conduct oneself in the most high manner. This is more than an external purity, of behavior, but more of an internal purity of the soul. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how many others feel, but at this time, as an African-American living in America, dealing with so many different things, whether it be the Black Lives Matter movement or the current pandemic we're in or just trying to function as a 31-year-old adult in a place that seems to get more vile by the day. I really have kind of begin to search for what is pure on the inside because a lot of days what's around me makes me question are we even human anymore as a society and I think that um, hypocrisy and guile and hidden motives have become such a common trait within our society that we are even allowed to joke and pander the characteristics of of toxic relationship on various means of social media platform. I do recognize and understand that each human has both good and evil that resides inside of them. And while we are all on this walk that is called life, 
are we taking the time to reflect and even audit ourselves to understand if we are living and walking with a pure of heart? The amount of work and effort it requires might be too much for us to maintain on a daily basis, especially when we know that as humans and as people, we often are going to take the course of action that is most advantageous for us. I think that self-control and accountability are some of the greater keys in an attempt to live a life with a pure heart. The self-control helps us progress towards a pure heart. We all have a rebellious heart within us. And by nature, we are selfish, self-centered, and we have the capacity to be ill-mannered. We must apply maximum effort to maintain and obtain our pure heart. By orientating our life, we have the ability to develop a strong moral compass, gaining the skills to resist recklessly fulfilling self-desires. And that's one of, I think, one of the biggest epiphanies when it comes to trying to get to a higher level. In order to feel a temptation or to feel like you should do this because it will fulfill a self-desire, but to resist and to abstain from it is 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 just such a a a major evolution. Abstaining from tempting influences is a constant battle of the soul. But the willing you have to be willing. You have to be acknowledgeable. You have to understand that you yourself can be extremely weak when it comes to different things that trigger your most selfish desire. For me personally, I attempt to set limits on my behavior and to always have an escape plan to involve, to avoid and indulging in what I feel that is unethical. Some of the thoughts that run through my head, some of the things that I deem to be necessary or okay, are of the most selfish, self-centered, loathsome type thoughts. But I think that we all have those self-centered, selfish, loathsome thoughts. And it's when we have those thoughts in order to address them, acknowledge them, and then make those thoughts submit to the will of my character or understanding that while that may be good and that may feel good, doing that is going to compromise my morals. And therefore, I want my morals to be unshakable so I don't do that or I don't perceive to do that thing. I believe that our hearts determine what we do or say. So examine what is inside of one's heart. Do we live in a way where honor and discipline are our anchors? Do our actions align with our morals and our effort and our ethics? Are we applying maximum effort to maintain our innocence? This endeavor is something that cannot be taken lightly or carelessly. I believe that we all must strive towards what is pure and towards what is good and flee from what is not. Because as we begin to continue to evolve in this world, the the thing 
the 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 spark the anchor that is going to keep us grounded is our humanity is our ethics is our morals and we are moving into one of the most dangerous times where morals and epic and ethics and bylaws are being overrode by feelings that may only last for a moment. So as you finish listening to this podcast, take a minute or two to examine oneself and to determine, are you living life with a pure heart? Remember, to be more real, be more human, be more honest. Catch me next time as we continue to go under the armor.